that's really what I want to I want to speak to you about tonight uh, and this morning. Um, but we'll reconvene, and what in the world? But but here's the thing: it's it's um, it's so important. All of us, okay, all of us. We 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 come together and we hear God's word and we we hear what it says and and we. We know, I mean, we leave and we see this is what God's word says. And it's hard, it's tough, and I'm convicted by it sometimes, and I, whatever it is. But guys, it is so important as we hear the word of God that we are proactive in responding to it. It is enormously important. Um, and, and that's what I want to talk about today, that, that we understand why it's important that we don't just listen to God's word and even that we just don't know what it says, but that we respond to what it's telling us to do. That we actually do the things that it says for us to do. And, and so I want to talk to you just to start off uh, about a guy from the Bible, uh, actually from the Old Testament, and a guy that, that actually wrote some of our scripture uh, that we have. But his name's Solomon. Most of you probably know who Solomon is. He was a king. Um, his dad was David, um, and, and his mom was Bathsheba. And so uh, he has this this these parents who the whole bringing him into the world was, was this weird situation, right? And, and, and so we've got David and Bathsheba, and, and, and they're the parents of Solomon. And Solomon um, eventually becomes king after David. He's the one that takes over the throne after David. And, and I want to I let you in on some things about Solomon that you, some of you probably know, but it's good for us to... Um, to think through again, and, and if you go to First Kings chapter three, it's really the beginning of um, Solomon becoming king. In in First Kings chapter three, we're going to look at verses five through fourteen, and we'll summarize all of that at the end, um, and kind of look at some more passages too. But I want to read that with you um, together. First Kings chapter three, starting uh, with verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out and, or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for, uh, or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for his for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. 
Let me, um, let me kind of summarize this. I mean, you have Solomon, who's now the king, and, and imagine how overwhelming that is, right? You're a son of a king, and, and you've been raised in the king's palace, and you've seen the things that the king does and all this, but all of a sudden now you're the king, and this whole kingdom is on your shoulders. And, and so God appears to Solomon and, and has this conversation with Solomon. And he says to Solomon, ask me whatever you want. Whatever you want, ask it, and I will give it to you. Well, that's a pretty awesome thing, right? Imagine if God met with you tonight in a dream and he said, listen, you know, Travis, here's, here's my deal with you. Whatever you want. You name it. You ask for anything, and it's yours. You wake up, and it's yours. Imagine doing that. What would you ask for? I mean, we all have lists, right? I mean, we all have lists where we've all said, man, if I had this, or if I could do this, or if this, or this, or this, what would yours be? I mean, what would be your first answer to the Lord if he said, ask anything, and I'll give it to you? Well, he literally asks that to Solomon, and Solomon's answer is amazing. He says, listen, I'm the king now, and I feel like a child. I just feel like a little child here, and, and there's so many people to govern. There's so many people to rule, and, and so if you would just give me a wise and discerning heart, a wise and discerning mind, if you would just give me a mind that could discern what is right and what is wrong to do it. And God is completely pleased with this answer. Because he could have said, make me the richest king ever. Or make me the, the most popular king ever. Make the people love me. Or, or make, you know, make them serve me. Make them do whatever I say. Don't let there ever be a split or a divide in the kingdom. And, and, and just protect me from that. He could ask anything, right? And those would be pretty tempting things to ask for. But he says, no, what I need, what I need is I need discernment. I need wisdom. And God says, because you've asked for that, I'm going to give it to you. In fact, there has not been before you and there will not be after you a king with discernment and wisdom such as yours. Well, we see that in the next chapters. If you, if you flip forward and, and read over the next days or whatever, um, you'll see that Solomon was incredibly wise. And just go ahead and, and skip up to, to chapter 10. Uh, we're just going to look at verses 23 and 24, kind of summarizing Solomon's wisdom. But Solomon was incredibly wise. It says in, in uh, 1 Kings 10, verse 23, it says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year after year. He was so wise that people from around the earth wanted to travel and come and hear and just sit in front of Solomon and just hear him discern things. And, you know, there's, there's a story before this about the Queen of Sheba, and she comes, and, and she, just, she tours this palace, and she hears the things that, that he's saying and how he's judging between people. And, and her response is, man, I heard of how great your wisdom and your wealth and the greatness of Solomon was, but it was so far short of the truth because you're so much more wise, you're so much more discerning than anything I ever heard. And so you've got Solomon, who's amazingly 
wise. But it's not all good for Solomon. Everything doesn't turn out great for Solomon. In fact, I want to look at two things, uh, or actually three things, um, that are important to know about Solomon. And and all three are are Solomon's sins. How Solomon sinned. The first one um, seems pretty simple. Uh, But it's verse 26, 1 Kings verse 26. Right after this, um, these verses where it tells us how incredibly wise he was, verse 26 says, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't sound bad, does it? That sounds pretty good, actually, right? I if you're a king and you have 12,000 horsemen and all these chariots and horses, and that sounds pretty good, except if you flip back to Deuteronomy, where God's giving us and giving the Israelites, I should say, the law, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, he's giving laws concerning kings. And he says in verse 16 of, of uh, Deuteronomy 17, it says, Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Don't acquire horses and don't go elsewhere to acquire horses. Don't do it. Now the reason behind that is they're supposed to depend on the Lord, not their own strength. They're just supposed to depend on God and His protection and his might that's how they got there in the first place was god's power and leading them right and so god says don't collect for yourself many horses well solomon didn't obey that and he did gather for himself many many horses but it gets worse than that it goes on in the next passage uh in the next verse first kings 11 excuse me the next section there first kings 11 um verses one through three it says now king solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. He, actually let me go on, verse 3. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Wow. I look at that and I'm like, that's a bummer. I mean, wow, I can't, I can't shepherd one good enough. Like, I have a hard enough time leading one. How in the world do you lead a thousand women, right? But here's the problem. And it's, you know, we don't have to look back at Deuteronomy, right? You don't do that. <laughs> You don't get many wives. You don't get multiple wives. In Deuteronomy 17, uh, verse 17, it says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. That's what 1 Kings is quoting. But he did. And his heart sought after that instead of God. The last thing um, of Solomon's sins is, is right after that. And it's idolatry. First, you know, the first thing we look at is, is horses and just collecting all the stuff that God said not to do. Women, having so many wives and concubines. And then the third thing is this idolatry, and it's big time idolatry. First Kings 11, 4 through 8 says, For 
Right, let's finish uh, verse 3. It says, And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. These gods that he set up temple to sacrificed their children. The people who worshipped there sacrificed, slaughtered, some would burn through fire their children to please the gods at these temples. Solomon. And he took part in this. He made it happen, right? He's the one that built the temple so that they could worship there, so that they could do that there. Now, why do we talk about that? Why do we bring that up? The the next thing that I want to talk about, and we're not going to go through this whole book, but I'm just going to summarize it quickly, all right, is Ecclesiastes. It's written by Solomon, and it's Solomon's regret. At the end of Solomon's life, I want you to do this. I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's just regret. And what Solomon's saying is, I acquired everything. I acquired uh, wealth. I acquired wives. I I acquired everything that you think your heart could want to go after. And let me tell you, it's all vanity. It's meaningless. It brought me nothing. It brought me no happiness. It brought me no joy. It was, it's vanity. It's meaningless. It's nothing. And this entire book is this sad book of regret from Solomon. So we have his wisdom and we have his sins, and we have his regret, and that's his life. Now, here's the thing, guys, ladies. This is, this is why this is incredibly important. There's no one here, and there's no one that you know that's as wise or discerning as Solomon, and you never will be. Study as much as you want. Do as much as you want, but according to Scripture, if it's true, then you will never be as wise and discerning as Solomon. And if the most discerning, wise man who ever lived can fall into these things, we have to take warning from that. We have to look at that and say, if I'm not going to safeguard my life, if I'm not going to put boundaries up in my life, if I'm not going to throw away the things that cause me to fall and get rid of the things that lead me into sin, if we're not going to put boundaries around our life, guys, we will fail. Ladies, we will fail. If we're not going to do the things that God has commanded us to do, if we're not going to follow Him and obey Him and, and do the things that will protect us from sin, that will turn our hearts from sin by coming to Him, by coming to His Word, if we're not going to do that, we're going to sin. We're going to, to follow sin rather than the Lord. If the, if the most discerning man who ever lived can get to the point in his life where he has 700 wives and 300 concubines, where he's building temples so that, so that his wives can slaughter children to please their God. 
so they can burn them to please their God. If the most discerning person to ever live can get to that point, we have to heed Scripture. We have to obey and respond to Scripture. And here's, here's what I want us to look at in, in uh, just the rest of the service here. In James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is the other reason it's so, so important that we don't just come and, and when we come to Scripture, whether it's in a church service or whether it's on our own or whether, whatever it is, whether we're listening to the radio, whether we're listening to the internet, to a podcast, whatever it is, if we hear God's word and we're convicted, this is why it is so important that we actually do something about it. That we actually respond to it. That we don't just nod and say, man, I really feel bad about that. I really feel convicted. I've got to do something about that sometime. We actually do it. We actually follow through. We actually confess our sin. We actually repent of our sin. In, in uh, James chapter 1, First chapter of James, chapter 1, starting with verse 19. We're going to take this in sections, 19 through 21. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Listen to this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's just, it pictures the stripping of all, off of dirty clothes with a desire to have nothing to do with dirt ever again. Like if you were to come in from the fields, right, and you're working the fields and you're just filthy head to toe, right? It's this idea of taking off the dirty clothes, but with this mindset, I never want to go back in that field again. I don't ever want to go back into what made me this dirty again. Now, I'll tell you, I don't like being dirty, okay? I don't like, like, being dirty. Um, I just don't like it. I don't like just having dirt on me. I, I want to take a shower as quick as possible if I'm dirty. I just I don't like it. I, don't, I just can't walk around and smell and be dirty. I don't like that, right? And, and I don't want to have it on me again if I get it off, right? If I, if I get cleaned off, I don't want to go right back out and get the dirt on again. And that's the mindset, guys. That's the mindset we have to have as a follower of Christ. It's this mindset of getting rid of the filthiness in our life with this in mind. I don't want it back in my life. I'm not just taking off this set of clothing and then later on I'll have to take it off again because I know I'll go back, but at least for this amount of time I feel pretty good. At least for this amount of time I got it off my chest, I, I said I was sorry, I felt convicted, I, I confessed it, and so for now at least I feel pretty good, but I, I know I'm going to go back and do it again. It's not that at all. The, the, the purpose of the getting rid of the filthiness is getting rid of the clothes that are filthy with the mindset of I'm not going into dirt again. I'm leaving it for good. I'm walking away from it for good. I'm going to follow Christ. And so it says, get rid of all of this filthiness. Just take it off like, like soiled clothing and just get rid of it. The next part says this, um, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. This is hugely important. Because here's the, here's the thing 
that we have to know. When we're convicted, when we feel like the Lord's telling us something from his word, teaching us something from his word, where we have to respond to it, where we see this is something that's not right in my life. It's not biblical. It's not what God has told me to do. And we feel that we're, we're, we're dirty, right? We, we have the, the dirty clothes on. When we take off the clothes and throw them away, we have to cover with something else, right? Uh, you know, think of it this way. If you're driving your car and you fill up and somehow you go to the wrong gasoline station, right? And you go and you fill up and you have bad fuel in your car. What happens? You ever had that happen? I've had it happen. It doesn't run properly, right? It just jerks and jolts and it's just not, it doesn't function the right way. Well, you would never think about just going and getting rid of the bad fuel, right? The car still doesn't run if you just get rid of the bad fuel. What do you have to do? You have to fill it with good fuel, right? It's the same with our lives. And that's what, that's what he's saying here in this passage is we can't just say, I'm going to get rid of the bad in my life. I have to fill that with good, which is receiving the word of God into my life. I have to fill my life when I get rid of the bad. I have to fill the life, the void that was, that was left there, thankfully that's left there, with God's word. I have to fill it with what's going to keep me from going back to the dirt again. I have to fill that with what's going to keep me from returning to, to what got me into that place. And I don't just empty the tank. I fill it with what's good. And what's good is God's word. And so he says, receive with meekness. Receive with, with humility. Receive with, with, with a quiet spirit and a humble spirit the implanted word, which instead of the dirt has to go in and get root into our heart. It has to take root. It's that picture of implanted word that it goes in and it and actually gets roots deep into our life so that we know how to respond. So that when we get into that circumstance again, we can actually respond in a biblical way because I have God's word there and that's what's leading me now. That's what's filling that place that used to be filled with a desire for sin I'm filling it now with God's word, with God's word, with God's word. The last part right after that in that section says, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word which is able to save you, to save your souls. If you, if you really don't want to go back to the dirt, you need to be rescued from that. You've got to be saved from that. You have to be. And the only thing that's going to do that is God and His Word. And so it's filling that place. It's filling that part of your life with the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. You know, when I say things like, man, you know, getting rid of the TV or, or getting rid of the Internet, you know, the main purpose behind that, it frees us up to spend time in the Word of God. I mean, honestly, if we're honest, that's probably one of our biggest distractions to being with the Lord, right? Is time. And how much time we waste, how much time we give away to meaningless things. And I'm not saying, don't hear me the wrong way, okay? Please don't go and say, well, Tony said, if, you, if you're going to be a Christian, then you've got to throw your TV away. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm saying that if that is in the way of you following the Lord, you need to throw your TV away, Okay? If that is in the way of you uh, obeying Christ, if the Internet is in the way of you obeying Christ, you've got to throw it away. You have to. If that's what's interfering with your relationship with the Lord, then you, just, you put them on a scale and you see which is weightier. 
and you see which one is valuable. You see which one's going to save your soul for all eternity. And you throw the other out. When you create disciplines and, and things in your life where it's just like, man, even if I had that in my house, I would still crave the Word of God. I'd still want the Word of God. Great, reconsider. But if that's keeping you from it, throw it away. You know what I mean? Sell it to somebody who does I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. Sell it and give the money to the missions. Do something with it. But Next section. 22. We've got the implanted word that's coming into our heart, growing in, and it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, but he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is hugely important. Be doers, not just hearers only. Because if you're only a hearer, you are deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. That's what God's Word says. Now, what am I deceiving myself from? I'll tell you very quickly and easily. You are deceiving yourself that knowing things about the Bible and being and feeling guilty and convicted, you're deceiving yourself that that is really what believing is. It's not. That's not really what believing is, guys. When, when we see the word believe in Scripture, it's not just saying having knowledge of. Because James also says that the, 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 the demons believe. They know and believe more than you do. In fact, they're terrified of God. They tremble. If you look at Jesus and, and as he walked along the, the earth, they were trembling. They were terrified of him even speaking against them and sending them into the abyss. They were terrified. They trembled and they obeyed. When he said do something, they did it. Demons know everything about God's word. They can quote more scripture than you and I can. Believing is not just knowing. It's not just having a knowledge of. It's not just, it's not just being aware of. It's not just being able to win in a debate or, or outdo someone in, 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 in telling someone how to be saved. It's not that. It's believing. It's having faith that says, I'm putting everything into this. And if this falls out from under me, there's nothing to catch me. There's nothing to hold me. There's nothing there for me. I will die because everything I have is on this one thing, Jesus Christ. That's belief. And what it says is if we just hear God's word, if we just hear what he says and, and we don't do anything about it, we're just deceiving ourselves into thinking we're okay. Well, I'm okay because I felt really bad when Tony said that last week and I knew that's not me. I felt really bad because I realized that's not how I'm living. I, I felt really bad and convicted because I saw that that's, that's not what's a part of my life and I'm not living for God that way and I'm not living like Paul or like Christ in that way. And so I felt really bad. So I must be okay. We're deceiving ourselves if we listen to that and we don't do anything. 
Because we're not really following the Lord. We're not really following Christ. Jesus' whole plan of salvation was, was three steps. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That was his three steps to salvation. Not pray a prayer, not just listen to sermons and, and feel bad. It was doing. It was acting. It was actively saying, he paid everything for me. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. And Lord, since you did that all for me and paid my debt, I believe you're God. And since I believe you're God, what can I do except obey? What can I do except live for you? It's just that's genuine faith. That's genuine belief. And it goes on and explains what he's talking about. He says you're deceiving yourselves if you're not because you're just like a person who would who would go to the mirror in the morning. They go to the bathroom and they look in the mirror and, and they see what they look like and they just walk away and do nothing and forget about it. Like imagine you get up this morning, you're getting ready to go to church and you, you, know, you want to you get yourself ready, you want to look nice, you want to smell good, you, wanna, you, know, you don't want to sit next to body, somebody and they're like scooting over to the next seat like you, I can't even sing with this person. And, and you don't want that, right? You don't want someone to look at you and like, you fixed yourself up, look at all of you. Just look at yourselves. You look great, right? Look around. You look wonderful. And that's why. Because you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, I need to fix myself up. And you took some things to heart and did that, right? Now imagine if I got up this morning and, or you get up this morning, you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you've got this massive like pimple. I mean like disgusting whitehead on your face, right on your cheek. And you're like, oh my word. I can't lead worship with that on there. I can't. I'm going to lead with that. Like that, people are going to be looking at my face and not up the words, and they're not going to be able to sing. They're not going to be able, and that's going to be a huge distraction. Or if I talk to someone before or after the service, they're going to be like, uh, oh, my wife is calling, or someone, they're going to try to get away from me because this is disgusting. I have to take care of this. I have to do something about it. Or if I go in there, and, and, and not me, I have very, very short hair, but if you have longer hair and it's just all matted, right? It's just all matted to the side of your head and you still got drool on your face and, and all that yuck from, from the nighttime, right? You've got just matted hair and you look at it and you're like, ooh, I got to do something about that before I leave the house. Well, imagine if you just left. Just walk out of the bathroom. Yeah, I'm thirsty first. I'm going to get a drink. Go downstairs, take a drink, drink some water. I feel refreshed. Let's get in the car. Let's go. You forget all about the fact that you have a massive pimple on your face and your hair looks like crud, right? You look ridiculous. Well, that's what it's saying about a person who hears the word of God and doesn't do anything. It's just like a person who looks in the mirror and says, I see flaws, I see things that need to be taken care of, I see things about me that I need to fix, and they just walk away and forget that that was ever there. They forget that they stink. They forget that they look bad. They forget all these things. They just forget. And don't even think about, I need to fix that before I go out in public. I need to take care of that before people get grossed out, right? That's what it's like if, if we're just hearers of the word. It's like we look and we, we see in the perfect word, is what it's talking, the perfect law, the perfect word. We see in God's word flaws in ourselves. We see things that are wrong. We see things that, that, that aren't obedient to scripture. And we see those and we go, yes, I, I, okay. That's wrong. I need to do something about it. And it's like we just get up out of church. Imagine doing this. Imagine hearing from God's word, the word of God, and he says this is wrong in your life, and you're not 
following me. You're not treasuring me. You're not obeying me. And you're like sitting there and you're like, yes, yes, it's wrong. It's wrong that I'm doing this. It's wrong that I continue to have this habit and I'm not even doing anything. I'm not confessing and I'm not surrendering and I'm not doing anything. Imagine just getting up and leaving and not doing anything about it. Can you imagine people doing that? Can you possibly imagine like that even being possible? It happens all the time. Right? It happens with all of us all the time. We hear things or we'll read things in God's Word and He says, if you're going to follow me, then do this. Whoa! That's hardcore. I'm not even close to that. Man, I need to... I need to eat. I need to think about that. I need to do something about that. I'm going to eat breakfast and see how that feels. And then we'll, maybe I'll come across that passage when I read through the Bible again next year. Or we hear a sermon and it's like, Lord, I'm not following you. I'm not obeying you. I'm not living for you. We hear that. We're convicted. And the Holy Spirit's saying to us, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you. It's time to confess. It's time to repent, which means turning completely around and going instead of towards sin, away from sin and towards God. I need to repent and I need to walk the other way. And the Holy Spirit's saying that to us. And being doers of the word is, it means getting up and taking action and getting on our face or getting with someone and confessing and saying, that's me. That's me. I need to get things right with God. I need you to help me and pray with me in this. And I need to get rid of these things in my life. I need God to change me. And repenting and confessing and and getting right with the Lord, and then following Him and filling that with His Word, with the implanted Word which can save our souls. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfect from now on. It means action. It means responding to the Word of God. It means doing exactly what it told you to do with the help of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And doing it what He says and living for Him instead of for ourselves, instead of making up our mind and, and saying, I just, I can't, I can't win, I can't. And guys, I have been there where I've just felt guilty over and over and finally just said, I can't do anything about it. I just can't win in this. It's not true. That's a lie from Satan. That's a lie from the devil. That is the, that's the enemy. It's not true. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have Christ who conquered the grave. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. If you, just, if you could just understand the power that's inside of you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power living in you if you're a follower of Christ, you can turn from that. You can follow God. It's just we have to fill our hearts, we have to fill our lives with what is truth rather than lies. Guys, I want to pray for you and... and uh, we're not going to sing at the end of the, today's service. I just want it. I just want you to respond. I just want you to do. I just want you to to think back over what you've read in God's Word and to think back about what you've been convicted about in God's Word and just ask yourself: Have I done anything? Have I done anything to respond to what God told me to do in His Word? Have I made any changes? Have I made any attempt? Have I? Have I talked to anyone? Have I confessed to anyone? Have I done anything at all? And if not, then today, today, 
is the time to make changes. Because if not, what God's word says is we're deceiving ourselves. And we're walking through this life. And guys, I hope, please, please, I hope you get how fearful and scared we, we should be about this right here. That we are deceiving ourselves and walking through life thinking that we have this amazing relationship with the God of the universe and deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're following Him and deceiving ourselves into thinking that everything's great. But if we look inside of us and see that we're not doing anything when God convicts us, that we're not repenting, that we're not living for Him in any way whatsoever. We just know a lot of songs and we know where to go in the Bible when, when, when the pastor tells us to open it. But if we're not living for Him, if we're not following Him, what it says is we're deceiving ourselves. And then we're going to stand before the God of the universe and He's going to say, you deceived yourself. I was so clear. I was so clear of what it meant to follow me. I didn't, I didn't make it a gray area at all. I didn't make it difficult at all. I just said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he, and he didn't say it would be easy. That's why he gave us Holy Spirit to continue to convict us, to continue to teach us, to continue to give us understanding. But we have to obey. We have to do it. We have to follow through. We have to make sure that we're literally following Christ and not just deceiving ourselves because we know the right answers. Let me pray. Let me pray. And then, man, if you want to stay here, and I'm going to have some announcements afterwards, but if you want to stay here and, and pray with someone, please do that. Please do that. If you want to just stay here and just by yourself, just, you know, I'm sitting here, please leave me alone and, and let me get some things right with the Lord. Let me confess some things. Let me get straightened with the Lord and let me decide what action I'm going to take to get God's word into my life rather than the things I've put into my heart. Um, then do that. I mean, just spend that time with the Lord. But let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word that is able to save us, God. It's able to save us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It keeps us from sin. It guides us. It gives us discernment. The flower fades so your word will last forever. God, help us to believe those verses. Help us to treasure them in our hearts right now and to know that apart from your word, we're just wandering aimlessly. Apart from your word, we don't know what you're saying. So help us, draw us to your word right now, God. I pray that for each one of us, Lord, Again, just like we talked about last week, that we wouldn't feel defeated. You don't convict us to defeat us, Lord. You convict us to bring life. You convict us to bring newness. You, you even say that to repent and return so that our sins can be forgiven and that times of refreshing can come from your presence, Lord. That's what you tell us. That's what repentance brings. It's not defeating us. It's not... Uh, conquering us Lord repentance is beautiful and conviction is what brings us to repentance and so God I praise you for for anyone who's sitting here or standing here Lord that's 
just feeling that conviction right now. I thank you for that, God. And I pray that it would lead them to godly repentance, repentance that turns from sin and and clings to you, and repentance that, just like your word says, brings forgiveness and refreshing from your word, Lord, and from your presence. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your help. We need you to fulfill what you promised. You said the spirit was going to come and abide in us and remind us of what you taught, of what you said. You're going to teach us and give us understanding. We need that right now, Lord. So I pray that for every person here, God. If there's, if there's areas in our life, things that we even know, things that you've, you've taught us and told us in your word and we've felt that before, God, would you convict again and, and bring hope again through conviction that we can repent and turn to you and, and confess our sins and even confess to each other and, and bring friends around us and say, this is where I'm struggling and this is, this is what I'm dealing with and this is where I've... I've kept this hidden and I haven't told anyone and, and God knows it and he's been convicting me and Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that in this place and bring renewal and revival, true revival and help us to not deceive ourselves and, and because of our pride and because of our shame to, to deceive ourselves and, and walk away from here unforgiven, unsaved because we haven't followed you we've just learned about you if there's anyone here who's that Lord would you please open their eyes and and give them humility grant them humility to confess to you the God of the universe and to bow to you the God of the universe and even to confess to their family and friends Lord so that they can surround them and pray for them and and encourage them and not judge them but rejoice with you and the angels in heaven that a child has come home. Jesus, we thank you that you stand with open arms and loving eyes and faithfulness and forgiveness to welcome us and to forgive us. And thank you for those of us who have been following you and attempting to follow you and, and have been responding to your word even even at times when it seems like we're barely keeping our head above water, Lord. Thank you that you say that we are forgiven forever and that there is a sanctifying process that you're doing inside of us and yes, we have to obey to that and we have to, we have to confess and we have to do what you've told us to do but we're forgiven. I pray that but that would be true of every single person here. I love you, God, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it does in my life over and over and over and over again. And I pray, God, that you would help me and convict me if I'm deceiving myself in any way. Help us, all of us, if we are guilty of that, Lord. And to make it right with you today, God. We pray in your Son's beautiful name. Amen.